0: Welcome again to Wellbeing, I'm Dr. Virginia Reed, and we're discussing space exploration and its implications for mankind in the healing sciences with Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Apollo 14 astronaut. His new book is The Way of the Explorer, a remarkable quest to reconcile science and religion in a self-organising universe. So Dr. Mitchell, how did you begin your exploration, if you like, into these matters? Well,
1: I had quite a number of experiences shortly after coming back from the moon that rubbed my nose in all sorts of paranormal, strange phenomena under circumstances I simply could not deny. And since my uh, bent as a scientist to to recognize that science is about anomalies what what doesn't fit your theory, and certainly in those days the paranormal events, so called psychic events, didn't fit any physics that. uh, the physicists were willing to admit and uh, having had some of those I simply was too great a challenge to turn loose of and I, I had to set out then to try to solve some of those experiences and find the physics that would help explain them and that's what the noetic sciences was all about and trying to bring science to understand the problem of consciousness and how then to go about integrating ourselves into a of realizing that the universe, we're all part of the same thing, we're all one, and that we had to uh, find ways to get past these propensities we have in civilization, and it's sometimes not even appropriate to call what we have a civilization because we're so bent on killing each other. Mm. <coughs> that, uh, so that was the main thing I set out to do, was to use the tools of science to study consciousness to try to make a sustainable, more peaceful world.
0: Mm. It seems to me that a lot of people, even who observed your pictures, etc., such as the Dalai Lama, had a similar experience, similar, I say, experience to yourself in connection with the moon. How did your experience of walking on the moon affect the rest of your life, really?
1: Well, it wasn't so much the walking on the moon. It was the opportunity to observe the heavens on the way home. Uh, after having finished most of my work successfully on the lunar surface and having the opportunity to just be a tourist and uh, <laughs> survey the heavens on the way home and see Earth, the moon, the sun uh, coming through the uh, appearing in the window in a three hundred and sixty degree panorama of the heavens every two minutes as we uh, rotated a spacecraft to keep thermal thermal balance. Mm and realizing that the molecules of my body and the matter in the spacecraft had been created and manufactured in an ancient generation of stars. And suddenly, instead of intellectual knowledge, it was very personal, those were my molecules. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with this. This is a this powerful type of experience that um, uh, only after I got back and did some research and eventually discovered that in uh, ancient Sanskrit 5, from 5,000 years ago, the experience of seeing things in their separate reality, but it's experiencing things viscerally and internally as a unity accompanied by ecstasy, that that had a name in the Sanskrit called Salva Kappa Samadhi, and was not unknown to the ancients. And then I later found out it's not unknown in any culture of the world, hmm. where... Uh, the mystic or the spiritual leadership uh, goes into these deep states of meditation, like Jesus in his forty days in the desert, and try and trying to understand these transformative states of uh, of consciousness.
0: Takes space travel, doesn't it, really? These days, in our crazy world, to well, there are there are still practices by which we can attain that state. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and that is the point.
1: That is exactly the point. Mm. That it appears, uh, I believe, it should be an evolutionary characteristic. Yes, nature exactly. has. Nature has made this available to us mm. to help us get past our beastly animal nature, to mm-hmm. get past our egos, and to see things in a different, different way. Mm. And uh, we just have to take advantage of it.
0: Well, we are evolving towards that, yes?
1: Yep, exactly. Our time has seemed to be limited. We are... Seemingly doing yes. uh, uh, enough to end our civilization uh, as fast as, perhaps even faster than trying to save it, mm. and we we have to get we have to get busy. We haven't got a lot of
0: time. And in so doing, heal ourselves on a personal level. I think you've had some experience of faith in inverted commas healers.
1: Oh yes, uh, you mean about the, the, the healing phenomenon.
0: The healing potential of of so yeah. doing.
1: I've experimented with that and been involved with that, yes, for all of my years here. I've had personal experience. I've had experience with my family. I've had tried several different modalities of doing this. And, of course, it really is just a matter of, of uh, getting into a love space and a space of service and with friends and loved ones that uh, uh, are intending your highest good and in, intending the healing. Intentionality is the uh, prime requisite here.
0: You discuss in your book, The Way of the Explorer, the ability of consciousness to be aware, intend and learn, learn about its environment. Presumably that's the exploration process that you're preferring.
1: Yes, well it certainly is That we the type of consciousness we have a mob. And certainly consciousness is a very broad word. It means many things. Mm. to many people but it's based in the most fundamentally it's based in the process of awareness and i take the position and postulate that from quantum mechanics even the fact that particles become quantum entangled and even though they go across the universe from each other they remain quantum entangled and i prefer to i postulate to say that's the most basic form of awareness that we can demonstrate in physical reality and as we go up the ladder of complexity from simple particles to organized matter like vegetable matter and simple biomatter and simple uh, uh, animal matter uh, up to the more complexity to uh, the animals with a brain and up to our level of complexity we have uh, reached this stage of being able to think about our thinking as well as just thinking and that's called self reflective awareness and I think it's wonderful and absolutely amazing that in our cosmos in our nature these types of awareness and mental capabilities are available to us such that not only can we be creative and think but yes we can heal ourselves in this way
0: This is well-being. I'm Dr. Virginia Reed, and I'm discussing space exploration within and without with Dr. Edgar Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell, you seem to be proposing that thought can arise from anything, really, anywhere.
1: I'm not sure that's quite correct. Uh-huh. Thought, thought is a product. Only, only we can. Uh subjective, our subjectivity only we can know. I don't know that your subjectivity is the same as mine we mm-hmm. can only compare notes and mm-hmm. surmise, yeah, mine's kind of like yours but uh, we can see in our pets, for example in our animals, how thoughts can arise and how they get an impulse to do something and they're clearly solving a problem of some sort and so animals with a brain uh, like our animals and like ourselves can uh, certainly are problem solvers, and we've it's been demonstrated, certainly in the higher primates, that they can have an inner life and uh, describe their inner life. So there's a certain amount of self-reflection, in uh, as well as self-awareness. Self-awareness seems to come with having a brain, and self-reflection seems to come with higher primates and with uh, uh, our species. Uh, and we're still you know we're still pretty ignorant about how all of this goes together
0: mm, but non-local
1: clearly clearly we're talking about non-local phenomena yeah. here, and that comes right out of quantum uh, physics and based in the notion that uh, when particles are entangled and go apart from each other they have a they maintain an instantaneous connection such that if something happens to one, the other one other particle is instantly aware of it and um, that of course has only really been acknowledged in the 20th century and really only applied and tested in the laboratory in the late 20th century uh, with with people in, in a Faraday cage setup that means a cage that screens out electromagnetic signals but we find that people across the Faraday cage barrier still maintain uh, a relationship, their brain waves go into sync when they think of each other. If they, if they're entangled particles, like lovers or mother-child or parents and so forth, uh, friends, uh, and that would suggest a non, as you say, a non-local connection.
0: Meaning not electromagnetically or thought transmitted. It, uh, yeah,
1: it's not electromagnetic because electromagnetic electromagnetism can be shielded and screened out with this type of devices. And this has been done thousands of times now. So it's yes. not, there's no doubt about it anymore.
0: Do you believe this is um, the basis of perhaps intuition?
1: Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm. Certainly uh, the, uh, we say in English that, um, yeah, there's several types of intuition, but we say in English that intuition is our sixth sense. Mm-hmm. And though I say no, it should be called our first sense mm-hmm. because it's rooted in quantum correlation and the fact that uh, quantum correlation was an information system uh, before this planet was ever formed and mm-hmm. our solar system was formed. So we should call it our most primal sense of information transfer. And of course, there is the type of information that just comes from having lots of experience and being able to connect and read. Uh, get certain conclusions just from your experience but what we're talking about here is a more deep intuitive sense of where you kind of pull an idea out of the air and you don't know where it comes from
0: yeah and do you believe that that is our connection to the zero point field
1: well we tend to that the current theory is that uh, um, this type of non-local phenomenon has to have a Someplace. It has to be something, a carrier. And right now the current notion about that is a zero-point field is the, the carrier for, for this type of information. Uh, prior to really being sure that it was a quantum mm. property, I called it the giant hard disk in the sky, that was the carrier for it. But it seems like the zero-point field is what we now think of as maybe the uh, locale or the repository all of this information and even it would appear that if you go back to the ancient literature and the mystical literature what was called the akashic record by the the ancients probably is is due to this process and the the mechanism we we call these days the quantum hologram that it's a quantum mechanism of information that seems to be responsible for this type of uh, information that we and perceive non-locally in this way
0: It's my belief that if we can access this, learn how to access it, then all information is available to us so we can think well instead of think sick and become well actually believe well
1: Yes, that is true that uh, knowing how well, getting into in touch with ourselves at these mm. deep levels mm. goes right along with this process Yes
0: mm. I mean, I understand that that takes um exercise like anything else
1: yes it's exercise sure we have to practice it we have to learn to condition the mind and the meditative practices that have been popular for centuries in the in the mystical disciplines and the cloistered orders learning to meditate quiet the mind and get it to these levels is is very important to the
0: There's a fair bit of uh, evidence for the health benefits now of meditation. Do you, at the Noetic Sciences, uh, explore other realms of the ability of consciousness to affect change?
1: I'm not quite sure what you mean by that, except to say, well, it is very clear that our thought processes create change all around us. The, The whole notion of mind affecting matter, affecting physical reality is it is rooted right in these concepts. Yes,
0: mm. if that's
1: what you're referring to.
0: It is. It is okay. the non-locality experiments. I think that the noetic sciences supports.
1: What, what experiments were you talking about?
0: The particularly those of Dean Radden, The oh, Dean entang- entanglement.
1: Oh, yes. yes. Well, that's what we're talking about. When we say entanglement, we're talking about a quantum process.
0: Could we could we explore entanglement a little more for the listeners?
1: Well, we certainly can. That's what we've been talking about all along here. And, in
0: fact, you conducted some ESP experiments on your return flight from the moon, didn't you?
1: Oh, yes. Well, uh, yes, ESP-type experiments.
0: Long before Dean Radden. <laughs>
1: Long before we talked about that. <laughs> That's but, right. uh Ryan, J.B. Ryan, the great American parapsychologist. I don't like the word parapsychology anymore, by the way. Nothing para about it. It's very normal. Yes. But it just comes right out of the quantum world and that has been denied for, for the, almost the 80 years that quantum, since quantum mechanics was formulated because of the fact that um, at the beginning of science in the period of Newton and just before uh, Cardinal uh, Rene Descartes, fortunately at that time, pronounced and came to the conclusion that body, mind, physicality, spirituality belonged to two different realms, and that was called the Cartesian duality, and those two different realms didn't interact. Now, the noble the noble purpose served by that is it got the Inquisition of the time off the backs of intellectuals so that they could investigate nature and physics without risk being burned at the stake by the Inquisition and by disagreeing with the Church, and uh, so that was the noble part, uh, and... The bad part was we proceeded for 400 years down that path with science refusing to look at mind consciousness and what all of its properties and that has been true even in the 20th century on the beginning of the discovery of quantum mechanics uh, when we've come for almost 80 years uh, even though the initial formulation suggested that mind matter did interact and that mind had something to do with the way reality was shaped. Uh, science has really ignored that or preferred to stick with the old dogma that mind and matter didn't interact uh, throughout this 80 years and only now are we just starting to break all that, break that down and get to the, the basis of what really is going on at the bottom of nature here.
0: Can you describe some of the early experiments that let us know that mind had a, a, had an effect?
1: well there's a whole host of experiments mm. that uh, uh beginning with these these correlation across faraday cage barriers mm-hmm. uh, that minds go into sync when they're quantum correlated or in resonance with each other but then a whole host of experiments have been done with like the healing mechanism that i've been involved with and and then the uh, well-known uh, psychic Uri Geller from israeli who resides in England, mm. who we did work with at Stanford Research Institute, and uh, let him demonstrate his prowess in these areas, and I've watched watched him do things that mine is not supposed to be able to do, mm. classically, uh, but it does. And what
0: fascinated me was the children that you visited later. Right, exactly. Oh, that, that amazed me, I and mean, that's a story that doesn't very often get told. Would you mind telling our listeners about that?
1: Well, and you know, Uri Geller was <coughs> was noted for his spoon bending and mm-hmm. his effect to uh, to at, affect uh, physical matter mm-hmm. like uh, spoons and things, and bend them with just mind, mental power. Mm-hmm. And of course, many call that charlatanism and fakery and so forth. Exactly. However, uh, my experience, although I was pretty, Geller was real. I watched it real and under real conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, numerous times the more important thing was to have mothers call me that were whose children were watching Uri Geller on television and suddenly started bending spoons and emulating what he did on television mm. and I would uh, on a couple of occasions I would go out and sometimes carry my own spoons and sometimes get one from mama's kitchen and let little Johnny normally 10 or 11 year old boy uh, who his mother had thought was doing this and take a spoon and hold it in my hand and say, okay, Johnny, show me what you can do. And he would proceed, just kind of move his finger over the the fork or the spoon or whatever it was, and you'd watch it curl up into a a nice 360 degree, or several twists in some cases, uh, just virtually voluntarily on its own. And many of these things that we had analyzed in the laboratory with metallurgical precision and discovered that they really had no no indication of stress marks or any kind of stress inside that material as though they had been formed that way And we sat and watched them curl themselves into uh... those shapes quite a phenomenon of mind over matter functioning that i still can't well model in uh, using physics or mathematics to describe exactly how intentionality is doing that but We know that
0: it does do that. Well, that's the way of the explorer. That's the way of the explorer. (laughs) You just go and do it. Just go and do it. You keep pushing the boundaries with intention and learning. Are these the areas of research that you believe mainstream science fails to explore?
1: Well, there's a a whole host of uh, areas. Some of the work that we have done now, I will say again, I won't go into it deeply here in an area called quantum holography, has taught us some approaches to physics that uh, we didn't have before and to quantum mechanics that we didn't have before. And so I have a team of scientists exploring this and pursuing this because it, it's opened a whole new door into a quantum biology, a quantum cosmology, and helping us expand the macro scale now this has done a wonderful job for the last eighty years looking at the micro scale or the atomic level of matter mm. and the new uh, the news accelerator coming online in Switzerland mm. uh, this year mm-hmm. is going to help deepen that even more but understanding things which has been denied for these eighty years that there's a macro level or higher scale size effects going on also and that is what uh, My team is very interested in looking at in a very deep way, and it's just going to take some time and money to do that.
0: Is it not that that's where consciousness plays a big part, the connection between the subatomic level and the macro scale?
1: Oh yes, of course it does. Uh, Of course it does. But learning how to.
0: Yes. Model
1: that, learning how to think about it, yes. learning how to understand it, measuring an it, and manipulating an
0: it—that's and that's the, that's the role of science. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's it doesn't—it right. doesn't
0: cause existence; it merely studies existence. Right. Yeah. Right. And so that's the Noetic Sciences Institute that would like to do that research.
1: Well, I have another organization that's composed primarily of physicists and mathematicians ah. uh, that are working on that because this going at 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 this level, yes. parallel to what we're doing in noetics. Noetics is working on the problem of transformation right? And the, and the problem of how do we get the mind getting out of this ego state into this more noble state okay. that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> That's that's the main mission in noetic sciences at the moment. Uh, a new organization that I have established in the last few years called Quantrek, um uh, is using... The tools of science to go deeper into the physical sciences uh, than we've been able to go before, uh. and looking at exactly uh, the deep physical causes and physical expressions, and to seeing to seeing how far we can push um, our knowledge. Because frankly, we're just babes in the woods in trying mm. to understand these things now.
0: And is that been enabled because of the advances in technology? We have better well, measuring that's a, instruments. That's part of
1: it. And, yep. uh, but a part of it is we're helping create the technology to mm. explore these browns too because we know where to look.
0: And did the exploration of, of space and the moon, etc., help in that respect?
1: Well, not particularly, I don't think. That's just another, mm-hmm. that's another aspect of exploration, <clears throat> that we're now the first, the first generation of spacefarers to explore beyond our planet itself. Uh, but I think these new, this new knowledge that we're discovering will augment and aid those explorations in due course. Right now, they're, they're quite independent of that.
0: So the future of space exploration as you see it?
1: Well, we must eventually go into space. Uh, right now, our civilization is not on a sustainable path. We all know we're utilizing more unrenewable natural resources. We're we're consuming more than we have available. Our population is growing almost out of bounds. Uh, our water supplies are in jeopardy. Certainly, our energy supplies are in jeopardy, and we have to find new ways to uh, to fuel it, fuel our economy and to sustain. And so, right now, we're in trouble. Mm. And uh, so, space does have space exploration does have its place in helping us uh, go beyond and to find. Uh, find new resources and I will say if we go a long ways down the road let's go down road a billion or so years our our sun's going to die out, our sun will burn out and if our civilization is to endure we'll have to be off this planet and outside this solar system and so that means space exploration is a way to do that it's going to be a way to do that now that's a long ways down the road but we also have the peril of meteorite, meteoroid, uh, and asteroid impacts that could be damaging to our civilization. We could go the way of the dinosaurs, and so we have a we have a lot to think about here. Yeah. And space exploration is a noble future that will help us solve some of these issues. But we have some uh, really tough issues that we have to solve uh, right here on planet Earth before going into space. And, the sustainability issue of how we keep the civilization going is one of them. The purpose of contract is to help uh, develop the frontier sciences oriented toward the knowledge that will help us create a more sustainable civilization.
0: So that's www?
1: org.
0: dot Thank you. And the Noetic Sciences will also give at the end of the program for people. Yes. That's...
1: noetic Noetic.org, right.
0: And the amazing work that you have done in one lifetime <laughs> is plenty of evidence for creation, one's ability to create. Because you came from the stories about your grandfather in the book absolutely delight me, um, because I'm a great cow lover myself. <laughs> well, he
1: was, he was one of the, the early pioneers of uh, our country in the West of Cattlemen. Mm-hmm. and I know your Australian heritage of creating a uh, civilization out of raw land uh, mm-hmm. centuries ago, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like ours, and uh, so I understand that process pretty well.
0: Yes, absolutely, and you, though, have come a long way from a ranch in Texas, yes?
1: Cool, from Texas. Out then, to the moon uh,
0: and back again.
1: <laughs> yep, and getting uh, getting more education at technical schools, and trying to be a part of modern civilization, yes.
0: And that's the way of the explorer. That's
1: the way of the explorer,
0: Dr. Edgar Mitchell, thank you very much for your contribution to life.
1: Thank you, and it's been a pleasure being with you.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. I've been speaking to Dr. Edgar Mitchell, astronaut, scientist, and pioneering explorer. And from all of us here at Wellbeing, we'd like to say we wish you well.